Our second scripture this morning is from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 14. Rejoice in God always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. God is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Finally, brothers and sisters, siblings, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. As for the things that you have learned and received and heard and noticed in me, do them, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in God greatly that now, at last, you have received, revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I am referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through the one who strengthens me. In any case, it was kind of you to share my distress. We celebrate the written word of scripture. Thanks be to God. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Loving God, present with us in our despair and our hope and our rejoicing, help us feel your presence with us now, that as we gather around and enter into your word, we might become your living word to bless the world you love so very much. Amen. When we left off last week, we had located ourselves living somewhere between despair and hope. We had named that, particularly as we consider the earth as our home in a time of climate crisis. We listened to the words of the prophet Jeremiah as he spoke against the destruction of the land he witnessed in his day, and we spoke of our own destruction of the earth. We named honestly the severity of climate emergency in places where collapse has already begun. And then we turned to the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans and we listened to all creation groaning, groaning towards hope. We sifted through what hope is not. It's not glib optimism. It's not wishful thinking. We spoke of what we called real hope, hope that begins in a groan that takes seriously hard realities and grieves. Hope that lets go of that which is out of our control 
Hope that nevertheless senses something larger than us at work in the world for good. Hope that then sets about doing that good, doing our part because it's worth doing no matter the results. In his letter to the Romans, we noticed the Apostle Paul wrote of the hope we find in Christ, living in the body of Christ, a place for us there, a place for us here, connected with each other, with all creation, in groaning, in hope, in life. And as the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans, he said how he longed to travel to Rome to tell them even more about this good news. That's where we left off last week. As we turn to this morning's scripture from Paul's letter to the Philippians, we find Paul, we think, in Rome. Paul has made it to Rome, yay! But he's made it to Rome in chains. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Philippians from a prison in Rome. Things have not gone according to plan. Since we last saw him before he could head to Rome, Paul headed back to Jerusalem and he was arrested there and tried. He invoked his Roman citizenship with an appeal to Caesar and so he's been taken to Rome in chains. This is not how Paul wished things would go. He had wanted to go to Rome and then on to Spain, taking the good news of God's liberating love for us in Jesus Christ to the ends of the known world. But here, the apostle sits in prison. And we know that he will die there. But even so, It seems that here in prison, Paul still has freedom enough to write his letters. This little community that he loves in Philippi sends him some support. In those days, that's that's how you lived in prison. Folks had to support you from the outside. So, So they send him support. And so Paul picks up his pen or his quill, and he writes from prison where he will die. And look at what he says. Rejoice from prison. Again, I say rejoice. Paul writes, let your gentleness be made known to all. God is near. Be anxious for nothing, but with thanksgiving, with gratitude, in prayer, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is what the Apostle Paul writes from prison out of what for him is clearly the worst of times. He is candid and clear-headed about his predicament. He groans. We know that this is the last letter that we will have of Paul's. And he writes this, Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, whatever is good, think on these things. Think on these things and do them. The apostle explains with the wisdom of one who has lived the best and the worst of times, somewhere between despair and hope, you see I've come to be content, grounded whatever the circumstance. From the prison where he will die, he writes, I can do all things through the one who strengthens me. And then he loves, adds that lovely note at the end. To this community he loves in Philippi, 
Oh, you have sent me these gifts of support. How kind of you to share in my distress. In Romans, Paul writes in expansive terms of the hope we have in Christ, the hope that groans with all creation, our place in the body of Christ, connected with all creation, groaning together as we birth something new, a new creation. Paul writes of that in Romans. In Philippians, we get a glimpse of how he lives that out. I think of that quote from Václav Havel, hope is not the conviction that something will turn out well, but the certainty that something is worth doing no matter how it turns out. I think of how Jem Bendel writes of hope beyond hope, a kind of faith about the ultimate rightness of things no matter what occurs, a deeper knowing in us of the nature of reality and thus an instinct for living lovingly. This afternoon, we'll gather in interfaith community in the groaning of our day, one of the groanings of our day, in the groaning of creation in climate crisis. And we'll ask, who will we be? Who will we be as the climate changes? I, I hope you can come. Two o'clock, we're going to gather in the, in the Duncan uh, patio. We'll enter into a framework that Jem Bendel offers for living lives of deep adaptation in climate crisis, what we've come to call the five R's of adaptation. We will think on these things. We'll begin the experience with reverence, grounding ourselves in the goodness of creation and the source of life within us and beyond us. We'll think of relinquishment, grieving what is and will be lost, and letting go of ways of living that harm creation. We'll think of reconciliation, making peace so that we can work toward a shared vision of restoration, restoring balance in ourselves and in our ecosystems, resilience, drawing on our inner strength and the strength of community to face our common challenge, and First Pres San Anselmo adds to the conversation through Peter's leadership a sixth R, resistance. Staying engaged in the good and worthy work of resisting systems that harm and destroy. One of the stations in the pilgrimage this afternoon will be an experience of the photography that you see in the sanctuary today. As I mentioned with the children, in August 2016, Peter Anderson made the journey to join the community of protest that gathered at Standing Rock. You may remember it was a protest of an oil pipeline that threatened indigenous land and waters. The pipeline had originally been planned further north, north of Bismarck, but when non-indigenous white folks complained, they changed their plans, we'll put it someplace else, and they decided to build it underneath the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe's water supply. The Standing Rock Sioux Tribe protested because the construction of the pipeline violated treaties that the United States had made with the tribal nations and because the pipeline threatened the waters of their tribal lands. The protest grew into what became a historic gathering of indigenous nations, and then folks began to come from all over the United States to stand with the indigenous nations gathered at Standing Rock, a community of what came to be known as water protectors, standing in solidarity with the Standing Rock tribe and the land. The protest encampment endured and thrived for, for nearly a year, 
Peter shares some of what he experienced in the photographs you see here. As I've talked with Peter, something, um, something Peter said to me particularly has moved me. In his time of living in the encampment at Standing Rock, Peter says that he came to have the sense that the indigenous people at Standing Rock actually didn't necessarily expect to win as we think of winning. They have lived centuries of oppression, of stolen land, of treaties made and broken. They know how the world and the United States works, and that the corporate money behind the pipeline was powerful. But what they did, what they did was show up every morning living for what they knew to be good and true. All around the sanctuary, we have glimpses that Peter has brought back, and I'd like to invite him to come and share just a bit of that with us now. Peter. First, I want to thank Tom. He spotted my pictures seven years ago and said they're worth sharing. So if you have any complaints, speak to Tom. Thank you. The first photo is of the Missouri River upstream of Standing Rock, as Lewis and Clark may have seen it in June 1805. Lewis describes with awe herds of buffalo numbering in the thousands, perhaps tens of thousands, dotting the hillsides on either side of the river. He describes packs of prairie wolves numbering in the hundreds that followed the herds of buffalo. Antelope, elk, grizzly bears, flocks of waterfowl that darkened the skies were encountered almost daily. Every bend in the river might bring them face to face with yet another tribe that lived along the river that was so abundant with life. It's gone now. Government policy called for the extinction of the buffalo and the removal of the tribes to designated reservations on worthless land to surrounded by scoundrels as described by General Sheridan, who was assigned the task of relocating or exterminating the Indians after the Civil War. I have a lovely poem um, by William Kent Kruger from This Tender Land. There is a river that runs through time in the universe, vast and inexplicable, a flow of spirit that is at the heart of existence, and every molecule of our being is a part of it. And what is God but the whole of that river? Photo number two. It is dawn at Standing Rock in December. The morning wake-up call on the camp PA system, get up, the black snake is coming. You didn't come here to sleep. It was dark and cold. I would crawl out of my down sleeping bag and put on my long underwear, wool socks, and then lots of layers of clothes, finally my snow boots. And then I'd waddle to the sacred fire to meet other pilgrims and the women elders who would lead us on a silent prayer walk to the Cannonball River, 10 minutes down a snow-covered path. 
At the river was a set of rickety wooden stairs that descended to a rickety wooden pier. An elder, always an indigenous woman, would stand at the end of the pier and bless each one of us after we descended the rickety stairs and walked carefully onto the pier. The women in our group, mostly indigenous women, would go first. The men, many of them veterans, would be asked to stand along the railings and offer support to the women going down the stairs. Then the roles would be reversed. The men would go down the stairs for the blessing and the women would offer their hands in support for the men. Something magical happened in those few minutes on the stairs. A healing took place on the rickety stairs. There were tears, smiles, kind words exchanged. I saw that and it was beautiful at dawn on the Cannonball River in December. Hundreds of citizens gathered on the lawn in front of the state capitol in Bismarck to await a court decision regarding the ongoing construction of the pipeline on land considered sacred by the people of Standing Rock. The court's decision was a disappointment. They refused to honor the tribe's request, but 20 minutes later there was a public announcement that the Army Corps of Engineers had just ordered all work to stop until further notice. There was a spontaneous outburst of joy with the people on the lawn. People danced, hugged, and laughed, and the children smiled because their parents were happy. It was a sweet victory, although fleeting. Photo number four of Lila June Johnson. Lila June Johnson is a Navajo leader from Taos, New Mexico. She's a graduate of Stanford University, an accomplished poet, musician, and anthropologist. I'll read a short excerpt from her poem, Dawn, which she read to hundreds of, of women protesters. 400 women walked in silent prayer march to the bridge that had been closed down by the, Army, by, by the um, National Guard and local police. Um, the 400 women were backed up by 100 men, most of them veterans. Um, this is the poem, just one excerpt. Poso is every drop of rain, every eyelash, every leaf on every tree, every feather on the bluebird's wing. Hoso is undeniable beauty. Hoso is in every breath that we give to the trees, and in every breath they give us in return. Hoso is reciprocity. Photo number five. Tribal leaders, tribal leaders gave archeological drawings of sacred sites to the construction company, hoping that the maps would save the sites from damage. The company, operating on a weekend, used the maps to destroy the sites quickly with five large caterpillar bulldozers, accompanied by armed security guards with attack dogs. When the crime was detected, hundreds of water protectors rushed to the site to put their bodies in front of the dozers and the attack dogs. The private security guards and the five dozers retreated from the field, but the damage had been done. The entire episode was recorded on film by Amy Goodman's team from Democracy Now! 
I, I was there when they released the dogs. That's what happens when you go against the oil companies. In summary, Reverend Lauren Van Ham asked an important question that I struggle with every day. Who do we want to be in times like these? Who do I want to be in times like these? Every day at Standing Rock, I was offered lessons on how to be in times like these. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. Let's take a moment um, just of holy silence to honor Peter's stories and to honor the stories of the indigenous people of the Standing Rock Sioux Nation, um, their stories and their lives. Let's be in silence together. <laughs> 